Hello and welcome to episode nine of Jetstream, the podcast from Wellington College International. My name is Chris Wolfe. I'm the International Director and I work to support, connect and grow our family of eight brilliant international schools. Now, Wellington College is a world-class school with a range of extraordinary strengths, of which well-being is certainly a leading part. Our international partners have really embraced this aspect of Wellington's excellence. My guest today is Ian Morris, who has led this programme since its inception. Good morning, Ian. Good morning, Chris. It, um, it's a real privilege to, to talk to you today, so thank you so much for finding the time. Um, well-being at, at Wellington is, a, is an award-winning, world-renowned programme. Uh, it'll be fascinating to, to hear how it all began. Um, yeah, so back in 2005, um, I was invited to become the head of um, PSHE. I think largely because nobody else wanted to do the job, and it was very much the case uh, with PSHE. And I was young and ambitious, and I thought, yeah, I'll take that on. That'll be great. Um, and I, I didn't know what I was doing. Um, I'd never, uh, I hadn't trained in PSHE, um, so I went off to the the DFE website to look at their their guidance and I spent the summer holidays writing the lesson plans I thought I needed to write. So lessons on smoking and alcohol and uh, illegal drugs and eating disorders and knife crime and all of the terrible things that can um, befall young people. Um, and when I started teaching the lessons, I just remember the reaction of the pupils. So the Wellington back then was was a boys school with um, a, a one girl's house. Um, so I was teaching to classes entirely of boys and I thought they'd be really interested to find out about sex and drugs and rock and roll. And it turned out they weren't. <laughs> uh, I remember them, remember their eyes rolling into the backs of their heads as we I said, right, today we're going to look at smoking and whatever. Um, so I realised pretty quickly that I needed to change what I was doing, um, <clears throat> but didn't really know what I needed to change to. And then Anthony Selden became the master of Wellington in January 2006 and um, one of the first people that he invited in as a visiting speaker to speak to parents and staff was a man called Nick Bayliss who was working at the University of Cambridge Institute of Wellbeing and um, we had a meeting arranged prior to his speech um, there's a handful of us in the room and he was talking about the science of human flourishing and as I listened to him speaking about all of the research that's being done into uh, what makes for a life going well, I realised that that's what our PSHE programme needed to be. And um, Anthony, in his brilliance, just said, OK, Ian, run with it, see where it takes you. So I, I started working with Nick to um, put together a, uh, a course in well-being um, with a focus instead of being on all of the terrible things that can happen to young people you know what makes for a good human life so started putting that together I came back into school after the Easter holidays and um, a colleague of mine said you're in the Daily Mail this morning <laughs> uh, uh, to my horror and um, uh, unbeknownst to me uh, the school had put out a press release telling the world that we were teaching happiness lessons um, and of course, if you say something like that, um, people are interested. Um, so, uh, yeah, I was in the Daily Mail and then a film crew arrived from uh, local BBC News and they interviewed me. Uh, and then I found myself in a live interview 
on Sky TV. I was sort of satellited in uh, to a, an interview and I was on, on with Lord Layard and all sorts. So it was this kind of whirlwind, weird whirlwind happened. And then we started teaching the course in September 2006. And uh, in my first ever wellbeing lesson, I think there were four or five film crews from around Europe filming me uh, teach a lesson. So it was it was crazy. And the cra- the, <laughs> the craziest part of it was that um, we didn't know what we were doing. You know, I look back, it's 20 years ago nearly. Um, and I, I just, <laughs> I'm just sort of amazed that um, we got so much attention when we were just in such early stages of putting the curriculum together. And I was really scratching around in the dark for for what we were doing. So, um, yeah, really from from then on, it's become a, a well, it's been a very much a work in progress. But yeah, that's that's how it all started. So, yeah, interesting and to remember it all. It sounds it sounds amazing. And in the last 20 years to go from that to a programme and, and the sort of a culture now where where well-being lessons are very much a part of what all great schools do. But 20 years ago, no, nobody had done it, which is probably why it seems so wacky to, to everybody to come up with this with this yeah. concept. What, what what do you put that down to that sort of that change over the last the last 20 years? Um, I think there's been quite an important shift in understanding what children actually need in school. Um, We've got a long way to go, but I think there's been this realisation that a full education is not just this kind of grad grindian model of filling children with knowledge in 10 academic disciplines. Um, There's, you know, an even deeper understanding that that actually part of going to school involves learning the you know the foundations of what a good human life consists of um and i i think as well part of the initial response was oh that's this is just this new head at wellington it's a marketing gimmick um and i think people quickly realized that that actually this was something that we were taking very seriously and we were we were taking very seriously in in wanting to get right um and as we learned more about what a well-being curriculum should look like people realized that actually this this was something that was valuable worthwhile deserved a place in the taught curriculum and 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 lots of people have have followed suit so um, yeah, it's, it's, it has been a really interesting um, shift because there were lots of people who were laughing at us when we announced it. <clears throat> and a lot of, um, yeah, a lot of sort of sneering and um, and, and ridicule kind of, and, and also <clears throat> kind of, oh, but it's, it's not for schools to do this. You know, the job of a school is just to teach English, maths and science and, and, and maybe some classics. Um, and this kind of sort of intellectual snobbery view of of what education is. How, how did you tackle that at the time? How did you you come back to those people and say, you know, this this has real value, and you've been clearly vindicated over over time? I think you, <clears throat> it's important that we we expand our understanding of what what education means. Um, if if we miss an opportunity to show young people what a good life is. Um, I think it's a real mistake 
Um, so what's the point of education at all if, if well, you exactly. can't, can't use it in, in, in the life that you lead? And that, that's the thing that I found really fascinating. So when I was head of PSHE, nobody was interested in what I was doing. They just were happy to know that someone else was doing it. Um, but when I became head of well-being, when I rebranded re myself, people were really interested and people, you know, were sidling up to me and 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 not only were they saying, oh, it's great that we're thinking about the well-being of our children, but a lot of people said, well, what about the well-being of teachers? But the thing that I kept realising was that, you know, when you start thinking about about well-being, it, it returns you exactly as you've asked, you know, to the purpose of education. What, why do we educate in the first place? Um, but it also brings us back to why many of us go into teaching. You know, I, I, I didn't go into teaching to get my young people really good grades in, in philosophy and religion exams. I, I wanted to, you know, contribute in some small way to young people flourishing. And there's a there's a really powerful um, school of thought in the philosophy of education that the purpose of education is well-being and human flourishing and that everything else is is secondary to that. And, and it has to be because, you know, really the purpose of education is the point of life itself. Um, so, yeah, it's been and it's been wonderful to to get to know these people, these thinkers and work with them and learn from them. And that's been it's probably been the great privilege of my career is to meet just some extraordinary thinkers. No, it sounds like a, a real privilege. You, you, mm. you talk about the, sort of the concept of well-being. Do you think people agree what well-being is now? And perhaps they didn't no. 20 years ago. No, that, that's and that's one of the challenges that we face is to be really, really clear what we're talking about, because <coughs> it's it's exactly the same thing when we start talking about human happiness. Everybody's got their opinion. Um, and that that's important because, of course, that's the hook that beckons people into the conversation about well-being. But if if we're going to be serious about teaching it, um, it's important that we're clear on what well-being means. And the the definition that I work to um, is it is based around the idea of human flourishing, and that has its roots in the philosophy of Aristotle. So Aristotle's great gift to the world was what was virtue theory, and his vision of human life is that the aim of human life is to flourish. That we achieve that by developing good character and good character is made up of virtues uh, and a virtue is just a disposition to live skillfully to live well so it might be things like courage but it also might be self-discipline or good humor or anything like that um, and alongside slowly acquiring the virtues we're looking to root out the vices so the vices are the things that get in the way of or frustrate human flourishing um, and there's a really well-developed definition of well-being that that sits in that um sort of model of human flourishing um i think quite often when people talk about well-being that all they what they're really talking about is feeling good so a positive emotional state that's nice but it only goes so far and the other um really critical component of well-being is is to think about ethics and and being ethically skillful and um helping young people and us as adults understand what the human good is know how to promote it and find ways of promoting it so i think you know any well-being education that misses out the moral and the ethical is um yeah is is missing a foundational part of it 
Yeah, I, I completely understand. I mean, you 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 mentioned the uh, the impact on adults as well, and the impact yeah. on teachers. It sounds like there's a lot, there's a lot of adults in the world at the moment who would benefit from that type of uh, taught content. Um, yeah. what, what what does the curriculum look like now uh, in terms of how how you approach teaching that to students who are in in year nine, ten, eleven? Yeah. So the the um, when people arrive at Wellington in year nine, um, wellbeing is on their taught curriculum. Um, and it's 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 on the talk curriculum for years nine through to year 12. So there's no currently no taught wellbeing lessons in year 13. Um, and they have um, about an hour of fortnights. So it's not a huge part of the curriculum. Um, and then in year 10, we we double that to two hours a fortnight. And over the course of the four years, we cover six strands or um, contributors to human wellbeing. So the first strand is looks at physical health. So we're we're really helping young people to kind of understand um, the the kind of physical um, structures and systems and whatever that they that they inhabit as humans. So it, it will be things like diet, sleep, and exercise. But we also look at what happens in the brain when we learn, and there's all sorts of you know just kind of learning to understand the body a bit better. Um, second strand looks at relationships, and that's really the 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 backbone of the program because if you ask most people what their happiest moment is, it, it will involve other humans. And if you ask them what their worst moment is, it will involve other humans. So our happiness is and well-being is completely bound up with our relationships with other people. So that we start by looking at the emotion system um, and how human emotion works. And then and then we look at things like empathy. We also look at conflict resolution. And then that goes in, into the lower six program, our year 12 program focuses completely on ethics and becoming ethically skillful um, because of the sort of the beating heart of human relationships. The third strand looks at resilience um, and learning to manage challenge, change and adversity. Uh, the fourth strand looks at what we call engagement. So it's fundamentally about identifying um things that we enjoy doing and and staying stuck into them so we look at things like the flow state that Mihaly Csikszent Mihai um identified um and and look at managing the different things that can pull us out of the stuff that we love doing the fifth strand looks at it's called the world but it's about living sustainably in a consumer culture um and I I would love to do much more on that i think as we um face up to the climate emergency in schools we need to do much more to prepare our young people uh for the world that they're going to um, go into as adults um, and they are going to need a huge range of skills to manage uh, the climate emergency um, and then the um fifth part sorry the sixth part the final strand is meaning and purpose and that really sort of takes its inspiration from Viktor Frankl, who is a Holocaust survivor, who wrote an amazing book um, in a very short space of time after he emerged from the camps called Man's Search for Meaning. And his um, his take on the question of what is the meaning of life is that it's the responsibility of every human to find their own meaning of life. Um, so we yeah, we look at sort of issues to do with finding meaning and purpose. It sounds 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 extraordinary, and I'm thinking about sort of finding your own meaning and purpose in leading this mm. this program must be be hugely fulfilling, and to keep yeah. it going for 20 years as well is is yeah. incredibly impressive. How 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 have you managed to do that? I, I love the work. I, it's um, 
I, I love being in a classroom with young people talking about these things. I mean, you know, some of the lessons fall a bit flat, but most of the time, you know, they really engage, they really respond. Um, it's 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 really rewarding. Um, yeah, just hanging out with young people and talking about what it means to be human. Um, and I really enjoy writing the curriculum. Um, and it's it's one of those lovely kind of jobs that there's always a bit of tinkering. It's like looking after an old house. You know, there's always something that needs fixing or updating or changing. So um, uh, and I really I really like doing that, just refining and refining, and refining. So, it's yeah, it's a really enjoyable, uh, a really enjoyable job. Well, it's always always good to hear you um you, you talk in a, a very compelling way about it and you mentioned writing the curriculum um i think i'm right to say you also you've also written a book uh, about this yeah. uh with a with a fantastic title i wonder if you can just just talk a little bit about how how the title and, and what that what that means for the book and the program yeah so the book is called learning to ride elephants <clears throat> um and i was given permission to use the metaphor by the the guy who first used it so there's a philosopher called jonathan Haidt who wrote a brilliant book about happiness um, in the early 2000s. And he writes about um, the analogy of the elephant and its rider. Um, and he likens being human to being a person riding an elephant. Um, and basically the the rider thinks that, the, so like the conscious self, the rider thinks it's in control of the elephant. But in reality, the elephant does what the elephant wants to do, and the the elephant is the is the, in the metaphor is like the the subconscious self and the physical demands of the body. So um, I think just a really neat metaphor for learning to live skillfully as a human is recognizing that uh, you know a lot of what motivates us is out of our awareness, um, and that we need to be perhaps more um, uh, circumspect about the amount of control that the conscious self has. So as part of sort of educating ourselves about being human is learning where our limits lie. I did, <clears throat> I, got, I got a really interesting email a couple of years ago from a someone who read the book. <laughs> and they said, um, I don't know if you realise, but actually elephant riding is, is a terrible thing. Um, uh, people riding elephants are actually doing awful harm to elephants uh, in Africa and India and um, I wonder if you would give consideration to changing the title of your book because I think you're contributing to the promotion of people riding elephants so I hadn't, I hadn't realized that um, yeah maybe maybe the metaphor isn't, isn't as um, lovely as I first thought but um, yeah it's an interesting moment. It's uh, interesting to be challenged on all sorts of things that you don't necessarily uh, <laughs> yeah. necessarily see coming. Um, yeah. I'm just also thinking about the sort of the, the current mental health crisis that that people talk about, you know, amongst mm. young people and actually around society in general, um, and whether you see a link in, in how the program taught at Wellington can actually impact on on more people if 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 that problem for young people exists in in so many different places. Do you have a, a sense of of how that might be done? Yeah. So, I. So I'll, I'll, I'll be really, really clear because I don't want to be misunderstood. So I do think that a small but significant population of our young people are really suffering with um, mental illness and they need all the professional support and help that, that we can provide for them. Um, and it's one of the um, kind of 
tragedies of our current society that there are not enough resources available to young people who are really, really struggling and, and need help. Um, but there's a lot of discussion at the moment about young people being absent from school. And the blame is being laid either at the door of mental illness, excuse me, or it's being laid at the door of um, feckless parents who aren't taking their children into school. I think quite a lot of the emotional discomfort we're seeing in young people is actually very clear feedback from them on the education system that they are being forced into. Um, I think schooling works well for a proportion of the um, population of young people, but I think it doesn't work very well for a, another proportion of young people. And um, I think we need to take a very, very close look at the system that we're asking young people to participate in. And my one of my major concerns is as the school system in the UK has become less and less well resourced and it is facing a resourcing crisis at the moment, schools are reaching increasingly for draconian behaviour management systems. And they they will tell you that those behaviour management systems keep schools safe. Uh, I disagree with that. I think what a lot of young people, their daily experience of school is that they are walking into an oppressive regime where they sit under the constant threat of punishment uh, and sanction. And what that means is a lot of young people are emotionally dysregulated for six hours a day, and that comes at a price. So I think a, a, quite a lot of the um, the mental health crisis that we're seeing at the moment is actually a, an entirely predictable um, emotional and psychological response in young people to the system that we're we're kind of pushing them into. Um, and I think urgent reform, um, structural and systemic reform is needed. And uh, this is where I'm, <clears throat> I suppose, um, I, I worry slightly that well-being curriculums are used as a sticking plaster. And actually what you need is proper systemic reform because um you can you can have all the well-being lessons you like but if they're walking out of a lovely well-being lesson into something which completely undermines their well-being well then you've got a bit of a problem yeah absolutely no it is a, a an important point and a difficult a difficult process to change i mean my sense of being in uh, wellington college is that there are some very happy and very successful young people yeah. um but actually being able to spread that is uh is, is a really important challenge for for all of us yes um Talking about spreading it, um, the international school group uh, that, that Wellington uh, sort of is the is the anchor for have have picked this up in a big way and and do teach well-being lessons in different parts of the world. How do you feel about that? Because the contexts must be quite different, but the underpinning issues of, of human flourishing, as you've articulated so so clearly, are are similar. Yeah. So, <clears throat> um, excuse me. I think that. Um, Sorry, here we are talking about well-being, we're coughing away. Um, it is January. Yeah. Um, I think um, it's fairly clear that the fundamentals of, of what it means to flourish as a human are universal. So um, this is something that can be taught um, anywhere. And, and we've got really good insights onto what human flourishing means. Um, it, it is, I mean, I do find it kind of amazing that the, the, the sort of the, you know, the 
bits and bobs that I've been doing here have been picked up elsewhere. I just still can't quite get my head around it. Um, and it is really um, uh, humbling, actually, to, for that to be happening. What's great is where schools pick it up and small groups of really dedicated, caring, committed educators gather and put something together for their young people, which will help them to, in some small way, live a bit better. And I think it's, yeah, I just think it's amazing. And it's wonderful that the international schools are, are picking up and, and you know, doing doing it in their own way, with their own kind of, with their own slant, their own flavour, um, making sure that it's right for their context and their community. Because, the you know, each school community is different, has its own different pressures and different um, uh, contextual um challenges so yeah i think it's but it is it's amazing really no i love that they always speak so highly of the support that uh, that you've been able to provide them so it's very much a, a sort of a, a mutual mutual relationship um, i'm conscious of your time and very grateful to, to be able to talk to you um so perhaps one one sort of final thought on on what what comes next uh you know the last 20 years have probably gone in directions you would never have expected what mm. uh what what about the next next 20? <clears throat> so i think um <clears throat> I'm part of a really exciting strategic review of well-being across the entire college at the moment. Um, so there's a group of us looking really carefully about uh, at how you know, really everything that we do can contribute to to, to the well-being of, of everybody who belongs to our community. There's 1,500 people that live and learn and work at, at Wellington in, in Crowthorne. Um, and I, I'm, I'm excited about the possibilities that will come out of that and I so I think the the next steps for us are um looking at systems looking at structures looking at the you know the the daily demands that our pupils face and just really interrogating what most matters and and how to make the most of of that um and in terms of the curriculum um one th one kind of thing that has changed my life um dramatically uh, has been learning something called the dialogue roadmap which is a um a whole set of skills which enable you to mediate conflict and find peaceful solutions to um uh yeah human conflict um what i would really love to be able to do um in the future is to teach our young people how to mediate um i think it would be great if they can go into the world not being afraid of conflict and and knowing what tools to reach for when they come into conflict with other people and and being able to resolve those conflicts in peaceful ways i think the world needs needs more people who can do that absolutely i think that perhaps is uh, is the point on which to end i think the world could uh, could do with a lot more of that type of uh, approach to life in in general um Ian, it's been a real privilege and a pleasure listening to you uh, talk this morning so thank you very much indeed thank you chris it was really nice to talk to you